Good morning. My name is Taylor Sutton, and I am the youth pastor here at Zionsville Fellowship. It's great to be able to open God's Word with you today. And before we do that, let's ask for God's help together. Father, we gather here to listen to you, to hear your word, and we pray that as we seek to do that, you would supply help, soft hearts, attentive minds, and the power to trust and obey. We ask these things through Jesus. Amen. The American Bible Society released its most recent annual report in July, and it caught some people's attention because one of the things that they found was pretty alarming. This is how one journalist summarized the findings. Between early 2019 and 2020, the percentage of U.S. adults who say they use the Bible daily dropped from 14% to 9%. This is according to the State of the Bible 2020 report. A decrease of five percentage points in a single year was unprecedented in the annual survey's 10-year history. So apparently, among many other ways that 2020 was a hard year, it was a rough year for Bible reading. But looking at those numbers, I'm also struck by where we fell from. This study has been going on for the last 10 years or so, and prior to 2020, that, that percentage of U.S. adults who report using the Bible daily has pretty much held steady at 14%. Think about that. 14% in a nation that self-identifies at least 70% of the country as Christian in some way. 14% in a nation where 30%, so twice that many of Americans, would call themselves Bible-believing, evangelical Christians. So it would appear... That in good years and in bad years, many Christians are trying to get through the day without looking at the Bible. We are starting a sermon series called Rhythms of Renewal. Rhythms of Renewal. And what is meant by that phrase is simply regular practices that help us experience God, nourish our faith, and grow as Christians. And this morning, I want to talk to you about how engaging with Scripture, reading the Bible, is necessary for renewal. This is my goal for our time together. My goal is to motivate you to engage more deeply with the Bible this year by showing you what the Bible can do. I want to motivate us to engage more with the Bible this year, not by loading us with more guilt about 
what a lousy job we've done, but primarily by showing you and I what the Bible does, what it is capable of. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55? Isaiah 55. If you're not familiar with Isaiah, if you open to the middle of your Bible, you will probably land in the Psalms. Isaiah is about four books to your right, so not too far from the the Psalms. We are going to look at a couple verses from the 55th chapter of Isaiah. So we are in Isaiah 55, and we are going to read verse 10 and verse 11. So in this passage, God is speaking to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. Listen to these words. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So here we have a single sentence telling us something about what God's word does by using the illustration or the image of rain and snow. And the structure of the passage is pretty simple. We have one verse that paints the picture that gives us the image of rain and snow and what precipitation does. And then in verse 11, we have the the point. A claim is made on behalf of God's word in light of or in comparison to that image of rain and snow from heaven. So let's look at each of these. Verse 10, the image. So verse 10 gives us this image of rain and snow, and it tells us what rain and snow accomplish. Now there's a lot of things that could be said about precipitation. The particular aspect of rain and snow to which verse 10 draws our attention is this. Water from heaven is unstoppable in its life-giving impact. That's verse 10. Water from heaven, rain, snow, Water from heaven is unstoppable in its life-giving impact. So first, it's unstoppable. Look at verse 10 again. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth. So you never see rain bounce off the ground and go back to the sky, leaving the earth dry and parched. When the snow falls, it might blow this way and that way, but eventually it makes its way to the ground. So water from heaven cannot be stopped. We can't always predict 
when the rain will fall, but when the rain does fall, we know without fail the ground gets wet. Water from heaven is unstoppable. But that's not the only concern of verse 10. The question becomes, well, what is it unstoppable in accomplishing? Look at the rest of verse 10. What happens when the rain inevitably falls to the earth? It makes the earth bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So the the concern here, the, the emphasis in this image is not merely that rain is unstoppable, but also that it gives life. That the effect of rain, the, the impact of rain, is to cause seeds to sprout, to cause plants to grow, which can then become food, which then sustain life. Precipitation is fruitful. It is productive. It literally gives life. So even before we get to the theological point of verse 11, verse 10 has already primed our imaginations with this image of the unstoppable and life-giving power of rain and snow. That's the image, verse 10. Let's move on now to verse 11, which drives home the point. Now we get to the the statement about God's word based on or in light of that image from verse 10. And the, the statement or the point is not surprising. It's simply this, that God's word is like water from heaven because it too is unstoppable in its life-giving impact. Verse 11 shows us that God's word is like the waters from heaven because it too is unstoppable in its life-giving impact. Look at verse 11 with me. Notice the very first word, so. So, this is pointing us back to verse 10 and saying everything that was just said in verse 10 is also true of God's word, or or true in a similar way. Look at the first line of verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. So there's the, the claim. There's the assertion. God's word is like the rain. God's word is like the snow. The rest of verse 11 explains how that is. Follow along with me in verse 11. My word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It, it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So the way in which God's word is like the rain is that it is unstoppable. It does not fail in its mission. Verse 11 basically says this three different ways. It says God's word does not return empty-handed. It doesn't come back in vain. Number two, it accomplishes what God purposes. And number three, it succeeds in the thing for which God sends it. So the word of the Lord gets the job done. But what is the job? Verse 11 doesn't specify the way verse 10 did about rain causing the earth to sprout and seeds to grow. 
What is the mission of God's word? Well, we can infer, we, we would guess, based on the comparison to verse 10, that it must have something to do with giving life. And the rest of chapter 55 confirms that. In particular, look at verse 6 and 7. So look up a few verses, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. God says through Isaiah, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So what are these verses saying? Basically two things. God issues a call or a command to repent and believe, to turn back to him and trust him. And that command is joined to a promise. Did you see it in verse 7? The promise of his compassion and overflowing forgiveness. So we have a call to trust and a promise. When verse 11 refers to God's word, the content of that word that Isaiah has in mind is verses 6 and 7. This call to trust and this promise. So what does that mean? What does it mean for that word to get the job done, to succeed in the mission for which it was sent. Well, it, it must mean at least that when God makes a promise, that word of promise guarantees that the thing is as good as done. It must mean that when God issues a call, it creates a responsibility that cannot be ignored. God does not speak in empty words. But I think we can go even one step further and say that in addition to these ways in which God's word gets the job done, we can also say that God's word has the power to produce in us the response to which it calls us. God's word has the power to produce in us the response to which the word calls us. So, for example, with a promise, the promise of the Lord has the power to stir up in a human heart confidence in that promise, trust in that promise. The call to turn back to the Lord not only creates a responsibility that cannot be ignored, it has the power to turn a person's heart back to the Lord. Augustine was the, the great African theologian and pastor from the ancient church, and he famously wrote in a prayer, Lord, command what you will and give what you command. Meaning, God, ask us to do whatever you want, but please empower us to do whatever you call us to do. What Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 is saying is that one of the vehicles through which God does that empowering is his very word. That's the kind of power that 
It has. Now, just like the rain and the snow, this is not a power that we can control or predict or manipulate or even manage. This is above and beyond us. And so we see even in the book of Isaiah, not everyone responds to the word of the Lord in the same way. But the point is that power is there. We can cry out to God to unleash that power in us. God's word is unstoppable, just like the waters from heaven in its life-giving power. So, how might this motivate us to read the Bible more this year, to engage with Scripture more deeply? Well, think of it this way. If deep down you view the Bible as powerless, eventually you will ignore it, however obligated you might feel to give attention to it. If you view the Bible deep down as powerless, eventually you'll ignore it. But if, on the other hand, you view the Bible as powerful and life-giving, it will be impossible to ignore it. Some of you may have seen the TV show The Mandalorian. This is uh, the newest addition to the Star Wars universe, but it has a pretty different feel from the movies, in large part because it's really a Western. So the main character is a bounty hunter, this lonely, gunslinging man of few words, and he ends up taking care of a tiny creature. Uh, He calls it the child. And this creature, as many of you know, bears a a resemblance to Yoda. It looks kind of like a baby infant Yoda-like thing. But regardless, uh, there's a scene early on in their relationship. The the bounty hunter is, is taking care of the child, and he ends up getting in a fight with a monster. It looks kind of like a giant mutant rhinoceros. And it's not going well for the bounty hunter. In fact, just when the monster is about to trample him into the ground, the child raises a hand and stops the monster in midair with his mind. I mean, really, it's the force, but that's getting technical. (laughs) So he's holding out his little tiny hand, closing his eyes, and this giant rhino is flailing, levitating off the ground. And so in that moment, the Mandalorian realizes that this little creature that he thought was totally helpless and utterly dependent on him actually possesses a power far beyond his own. I think one of the reasons we struggle to read the Bible like we want to, like we think we're supposed to. One of the reasons why I think many of us struggle is that we tend to view the Bible as a powerless object toward which our main feeling is a sense of guilty obligation. It's not all that different than maybe the feelings that are created in you when you look at 
your exercise bike, or when you look at your homework, or when you consider your dental floss. These are inanimate things that we feel badly about not attending to more. And what I think Isaiah 55 is calling us to is put the Bible in a different category than those things. It is not an inanimate object toward which our primary feeling should be a sense of guilty obligation. We need to have an experience similar to that of the Mandalorian, to realize that this thing that we thought was powerless and helpless actually has the power to save our lives. Friends, think for a minute with me about what this is. This book is God's powerful, life-giving speech written down. It was written down across many centuries. It was inspired through many different people. It can come to us as a wild, bewildering, foreign thing. But at the end of the day, this is the speech of Almighty God recorded on paper. So that means when you hear the words of Scripture, the words that you are hearing are made of the same stuff as the words that spoke matter into existence. When you hear the words of Scripture, the words that you're hearing share the same attributes as the words that called a dead person out of the grave. And this powerful quality of God's Word is matched by the content of God's Word just like we saw in Isaiah 55. And what I mean is this. We tend to, as kind of our default setting, we tend to assume that the main message of the Bible is try harder, be better. Which, if you think about it, really means that the Bible sits powerless, dependent on us to put it into practice. Now, make no mistake, the Bible has lots of commands in it. But what I'm saying is that those commands that are, in fact, in the Bible are embedded in a more foundational structure that announces a different message, which is this, that God did for us what we were powerless to do. That's the main thrust of the Word of God, that God in response to our failures and our rebellion against him, did not give us more commands. He gave us his son to die in our place to pay for all of our failures and our rebellion against him. When you view God's word as powerful and life-giving, it becomes impossible to ignore it. Now, I want to stop here and think about and and speak to some objections, because I would imagine there are a number of you hearing this and thinking any number of things. Things like, okay, if the Bible is so powerful, why is it so boring sometimes? Or maybe some of you are thinking, okay, I believe you that the Bible is powerful, but when I read it, I just feel confused. Or maybe others of you are thinking, sure, sure, I know that the Bible is powerful. 
I believe that, but I'm just so discouraged because it hasn't made any difference in my life. I don't feel any different from my attempts at reading it. Or maybe some of you are thinking, this sounds really nice, but I'm not sure I believe that the Bible actually is God's Word. Any, any of those resonate with your heart? Boring, confusing, ineffective, or unbelievable? I know that there are plenty of people here who have felt or thought all four of those things at one time or another. Let me just give three really simple encouragements if, if any of those objections uh, are feeling weighty on your heart and mind today. First, there are resources available to you to make progress on any of those four fronts. There are people, practices, books that can help make the Bible less boring, less confusing, more effective, more believable. So you don't have to be stuck there. Second encouragement, consider objections like these opportunities to depend on God. Remember, this is His Word. So cry out to Him to help you receive it in a way in which it is worthy to be received. And third, don't underestimate the possibilities of simply reading the Bible for yourself to help overcome these objections. The, the words of Scripture have been overcoming people's objections for centuries. I mentioned Augustine a few minutes ago. He, he has a fascinating life story. And he was a restless, intellectual young man chasing after something he didn't know what it was. He tried different lifestyles. He explored different philosophies and religions. And at one point, he was gravitating closer and closer to Christianity. He was talking to a pastor. He was attending church. But do you know what the decisive moment was in his conversion? He was in uh, the backyard of, of some house in Milan in Italy, and he heard some kids playing a game or saying some kind of rhyme. He wasn't quite sure, but what he heard was, take up and read, take up and read. And he opened the Bible and read from the book of Romans. And years later, when he wrote his autobiography, he said, that was it. That was the moment that I decided that I belonged to Jesus. So if you feel like the Bible is boring, confusing, ineffective, unbelievable, Pursue the resources, cry out to God, but don't wait to read the Bible until all your objections are resolved. The Bible itself has the power to overcome your objections. So, so read it. Here's, here's the takeaway for all of us, wherever you're coming from today. If Isaiah 55 is true, if the Word of God is as powerful and life-giving as Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 say it is, then it is worth it this year to try anything to get more of the Bible in your heart and mind. So try something. Try something new, perhaps. You can listen to the Bible in audio form. Try 
writing down a paragraph of Scripture and just carry it with you throughout the day. Try memorizing one verse each month. Try reading the Bible out loud with another person on a regular basis. Try scheduling an appointment, literally writing it down in your calendar to read the Bible. The the point is, the encouragement is that any effort that we might make to engage more with the Bible is not so much self-improvement. What we're really doing is we are, we are taking our need, our desperate need, and we are simply dragging it into the pathway of God's life-giving power. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We confess that we often underestimate it. We underestimate it to a tragic degree. And so as we prepare to leave this place, our prayer is that you would help us not to do that. That you would move the needle of our hearts away from viewing the Bible as powerless, inert, lifeless, and begin to view it, really consider it as your life-giving, unstoppable, powerful word. And I pray that you would empower many habits and practices and actions that fit such a high view of your word. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.